0: Welcome back to the Cheap Heat Productions Podcast. Okay, Welcome back to the show and today I've got a very familiar face on your screens, a man that was in the WWE for 22 years as a referee, Mr. Jimmy Corderas, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, man. I I love that intro because you got me to pop when I saw guys like Butterbean and Sabu and stuff like that. So it's awesome. Thank you for having me, Maurice.
0: No, thank you for coming on, man. I've I've been fortunate enough to have a a few interesting people from the world (laughs) of entertainment. Uh, I didn't base this directly on wrestling, but obviously... I have a strong interest in wrestling. A lot of my friends Mm -hmm. do. So, anytime there's a wrestling guest coming on, they're always interested, and they're definitely interested in hearing what you have to say today as well.
1: Well, cool. Well, thank you. Hopefully, I don't disappoint.
0: (laughs) I'm sure sure you won't disappoint. So, to bring it to the beginning, how Mm -hmm. did you become involved in this world?
1: Uh, I was a huge fan since I was a kid, and growing up in here in Toronto we were fortunate enough to get a lot of wrestling on television on the weekends and from different parts of the country. Like uh, obviously we had Maple Leaf wrestling, which was Toronto based or Ontario based here, but we had used to get, uh, you know, the Buffalo affiliate channels from the U S uh, mid Atlantic championship wrestling. Then we'd get uh, AEW wrestling uh, on, on a different channel. And then later on we'd get international wrestling from Montreal, which was all the Edward Carpentier's and stuff like that. But, uh, we got Stampede Wrestling from Calgary on television up here from a different channel. And then uh, Saturday nights, which was hockey night here in Canada, after that, we'd get All-Star Wrestling from Vancouver. So it was hard not to be a wrestling fan because you got so much of it. And then when I went to my first live event as a as a 10-year-old, which my neighbor and his dad took us, uh, yeah. I was hooked for life. <laughs> you couldn't get it out of me.
0: Yeah. And how did you decide you wanted to be a referee? Did you ever decide to step into the ring as a performer before that?
1: Um, always, you have that in the back of your mind as a fan, you like, what would it be like to get in the ring and actually do what these guys are doing? But, you know, uh, I, I, it wasn't like it was a conscious Sanford where I said, you know what, I'd love to become a referee or I'd love to become a wrestler. Um, I, I ended up, uh, befriending someone who worked for Jack Tunney, who was the, uh, WWF president back in the day, but he was the promoter here in Toronto. And, um, uh, he introduced me to Jack and, under the pretense of taking pictures for the magazine. Cause I used to take pictures at, as a fan and I'd go back to Maple Leaf gardens and try and sell them, you know, for two bucks a picture, which would fuel my wrestling habits, so to speak. But uh, he caught me outside and said, you know, it's kind of illegal. And I went, Oh, he said, well, don't worry about it. Just don't do it outside the building where everybody can see you. Just trying to do, it. but he, he, we became friends and he introduced me to Jack and under the pretense of, you know, maybe taking photos for their program and stuff like that. He said, well, we don't need another photographer here, but we'll find something for the kid to do. And I started off doing, like, you know, the menial jobs. Uh, Jack would say, here, take the keys to my car and go to go to the Marriott by the airport and pick up Hulk Hogan and bring him down here. And I'd be like, yeah. Uh, on the inside, I'm going, holy cow, I'm going to pick up Hulk Hogan. But on the inside, yes, sir, whatever you need, you know, but then, you know, it's like, yeah. 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 But it started off that way. And after Uh, A while of doing that, Pat Patterson, who was uh, the head agent at the time, just said, you know, hey, Jack, we've got the kid here. He sits around here all day. What we waiting for us to get him to do so? Why don't we use him? We'll make him a referee. And Jack says, and this is I'm standing right there. It's not like a, you know, and, and Jack says, well, do we want to smarten the kid up? And, Je- and Pat says to him, he's in the locker room with the boys. He kind of has an idea what's going on. Let's let's take advantage of it. Maybe, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, whatever. So Pat told me to get black pants, black shoes, a blue shirt, and a black bow tie and carry it with me at all times. And uh, eventually the time came for me to, to referee. And then uh, it worked out, thank goodness.
0: <laughs> How difficult is it being a referee at that level? And would you explain to people... Kind of what your role is, because you're not just there and you're thrown into the ring. Like there's much more to the job than that.
1: Yeah. Again, as someone who's learned over the years, but one of the things that people don't realize, too, is you continuously learn because everything changes, everything evolves. But at the same time, the referee's main purpose I discovered uh, after many years was... N- not to be a distraction, but your main goal is to help the talent tell their story in a match, and without being part of that story, without being a distraction, you're somewhat invisible, without being uh, visible and and a distraction. Uh, the uh, one of the analogies I use is um, whether y- you know supporting actors or something like that, but a musical reference. Uh, KC and the sunshine band. We all know who KC is, but we have no idea who the guys in the sunshine band are, but yeah. it's okay because without the sunshine band, there's no KC. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you're, so- you're part of the, the the thing, the foundation's holding it together, basically.
1: Hopefully. Yeah. If you're doing your job correctly, uh, you're, you're allowing the talent to tell their story and help facilitate that as best you can.
0: Yeah. And when you are a referee in WWE for all those years, um, do you have to like practice much or train much, or what? What's your regime like, say on a weekly basis when you were getting ready to go on the road?
1: Uh, basically for me, it was like watching back matches and seeing what not only my own matches but other matches as well, and seeing what I could improve on, and and seeing stuff that you know, getting to learn from some of the best in the business, like Timmy White and the Hebner, and and even guys like Tommy Young and. And just Tim, you know what, just soaking in all the knowledge from them and not only from them, but also from the from the boys and the girls themselves, the, the talent that you know offering advice, but watching something back and saying, Oh, I could have done this differently. Maybe if this circumstance presents itself again, maybe I should react this way. It's it's kind of like um kind of like talent does. Try it out, see if it works. And that's what the that's what the live events and house shows were for. You know, yeah, you don't experiment on TV for life. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's the way I did. It. I, I I watched back matches, uh, everybody's match, and and kind of took little bits and pieces of uh, stuff there and thought, yeah, this could be better. This could be, I could work on this kind of stuff. You know,
0: that's one thing. I actually had a question down there about that because, like, I've never been to a live WWE show televised. We'll say, but I've been to many house shows in in Ireland. Uh, it's so different on a house show compared to TV. Like you guys are all there. You're all having fun. The talent's having fun. Yeah. Is it much more enjoyable to do, Matt, to do like events like that when that red light isn't there with the pressure?
1: Um, I, I hate to use the word more enjoyable, uh, but you are, it's more relaxed. Let's put it that way. It's a lot more yeah. fun. Like you said, in a sense that um, it, TV is so structured, like for example, okay, for this match, we have 12 minutes and that's, You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's your time block. So, uh, me as a referee, I'm also not only am I also helping facilitate them guys putting their match together, but I'm also listening and saying, okay, guys, we got seven minutes left, or five minutes left, and then it's getting close. Guys, we got to go. We got to hit our time. You know that sort of stuff. Whereas at a a house show or live event, you know they say, ah, go to ten to twelve. If you go fifteen, it won't be that bad. You know. So, and there you get to feel the audience a little more, and that's when you start saying, hey. I did this in the match that seemed to get a response. Let me try that on television. Mm -hmm. So that's where you kind of, you know, gauge and see what works in front of a live crowd.
0: And would you get the freedom to make those decisions based on, Oh, I want to try this on TV or would like writers or Vince or anyone be saying, no, you can't do this. You have to do the referee in this way or that way. Or was there any freedom there for you?
1: Um, no, we, 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 kind we were kind of structured. This is the way it works. This is, you know, you're there to enforce the rules, uh, obviously in a sports, uh, type of setting, there are rules that should be followed, but, and present it as best you can as a sport, you know, because we all know that it is sports entertainment. If that's the yeah. word, right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're trying to present it as a, as an actual sport. So the referees, like I said, not, job is to help the guys tell their story but also do it in a fashion where you look like you're the authoritative figure in the ring as well so there is a standard set of rules uh, but like like you said at at house shows and live events we had a little bit of freedom to have a little bit of fun at times as long as the guys were okay with it if they weren't okay with it you ain't gonna do it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i noticed that like at the shows i was at the live events like the announcers and the referees were a lot a lot more relaxed and having fun and things like that yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had writer Dan Madigan on that we talked about before the show. Dan mm-hmm. is responsible for some uh good shit. That's not what Vince would call it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good. That's good shit,
0: pal. <laughs> but he was saying that you would often come up with ideas uh for him based on what you'd see in the ring, and he'd kind of take those ideas forward, but it seemed like they mightn't have listened to it because you're not a writer or something like that. But Dan was saying like, this guy is in the ring every night, mm-hmm. but he didn't really have any creative control, though, as a referee in WWE, would you? Uh, not really. I mean,
1: it, it, some guys, it, it depended on the talents, too. Most of the talents were acceptive of ideas. And also, it, you you have to present it in a certain way. You don't want to sound yeah. like you're all knowing and hey, I got to figure it out and stuff like that. You you know, you come up with an idea, you know, I credit Eddie Guerrero a lot for this, uh, you know, thank you so much, Like, especially during that era of lie, cheat and steal, you know, because I was very shy about presenting ideas, you know, something would pop in my head and, and, you know, Eddie was the first one to notice it and he'd, he'd say, what did you, what, what do you got? I said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw that look, something popped in your head, what was it? I said, well, he says, no, spit it out, man. Yeah. And so he says, if you get an idea, don't be afraid to spit it out. You know, I'm very accepted. Most most guys are accepted. You just got to be uh, respectful in the way you present your idea. And and when you talk about Dan, Dan was one of the... So, a lot of the writers that I interacted with, even the Brian Gerwitz and stuff like that, you know, it, it's more like, hey, do you have a minute? I got an idea that I could throw by you, that kind of sort of thing. And they were fine with listening. And And Dan was one of the more um open guys, let's put it that way, to, yes. to listening to ideas from, from, from guys like myself, because I know the stigma of a referee, you know, like, well, he hasn't actually been a wrestler, so how, but, you know, we're there, we learn, we pay attention, we listen. I always have my ears open anyways. Yeah. I'm getting to learn from some of the best talents ever to do this, so, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm knowing all, but I have learned uh, a lot of things <laughs> over the years.
0: How many matches do you think you've refereed in your career? Oh, my
1: goodness. I wish – because Chris Jericho just had uh, releasing a new book, and he had written everything down. It makes me wish yeah. that I had done something like that myself because, um, you know, for example, guys would wrestle a match, maybe two matches a night. We would referee, especially at live events, three, sometimes four matches a night. So, oh, I don't know how many thousands of matches, but it, it just uh, – uh, I I wish I had kept track of stuff like that.
0: The list of Corderas.
1: Yeah, the list
0: the the, the <laughs> <reffing> list. <laughs> the refen <riff of> list. <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple of fans uh of the show were asking me to ask you certain questions and like one of them sure. was Obviously this is not a happy moment but uh, your memories of the night that unfortunately Owen mm. passed away at the live event and yeah. what's your recollection of that night and i've I've seen it before but this is just something that someone else wants to know so i said I'd ask
1: yeah it's it, it's so you know it, it's one of those heartbreaking moments that's ingrained in your head that that'll never go away but the heart the the, the strange oh, let me start at the beginning um I was the uh referee assigned to that match versus Owen versus the godfather that night and Owen no was for those who aren't totally familiar with the story. He was to descend from the rafters, and I don't know the particulars about the harness and all that, but apparently it was a quick release system that they had uh, set up for him, and something went wrong, and right before that match was to take place, um, they had a hardcore match. I went to the ring early to help them clear some of the stuff out, and I was holding the top rope, kind of kicking stuff out of the ring, working myself towards that corner, Um, or... when I felt, I heard a scream, I don't know what it was, you know, a lot of people say it was Owen screaming, look out, basically, I I don't, I don't have that, I can't definitively say that was what it was, but I heard some screaming, yeah. and I felt something brush against the side of my head and shoulder, but at that same instant, the top rope had popped out of my, snapped out of my hand, and it came back, so I didn't know if it was the, the rope had broke, or somebody was throwing something, so I was, kind of did, you know, like a ducking, like, what's going on here, and when I turn around, you know, I see Owen laying there in that corner and I didn't put two and two together. It didn't, you know what I mean? You're, you're just, yeah. you're shocked. And, and I, and I knelt down and I kind of called to him a couple of times and there was no response. And, you know, and I saw King coming over and I just freaked out and started, we need help. We need help because there was no response, nothing. His eyes were like wide open, but there was nothing there. And, uh, yeah, you know the paramedics came in. They immediately started the uh, the chest compressions and stuff like that. Got him on the stretcher and got him to the ambulance. And I followed them back and uh, watched them load him in. And it, you know, uh, again, I, it, I, I I remember stuff like that distinctly. But then afterwards, I don't remember stuff like that was in Kansas City, Missouri. The next night we were in St. Louis, Missouri. I don't remember going from Kansas City to St. Louis. I don't know if we drove. We took a a, a plane, a bus, whatever. I just don't remember going. How how we got there. I just remember the next day when I got to the building, I got, I ran into King, and he was the one who told me that he saw the last, you not know, like twenty feet or so of Owen's fall, and it was Owen who brushed up, you know, against my side and. and mm. And that's that's when it just it really hit me really hard. And then, you know, he he then I ran into JR, who was head of talent relations at the time, and he said, Are you okay? I said, I, I he says, We'll send you home. I said, No, I think I need to be here. You know what I mean? I think I need to be whatever everybody else is doing, I need to be doing. You know what I mean? And he said, Okay. He says, But if you need anything, you come to me. And then I ran into Taker and Taker, same thing. He says, If if you need anything, you come to me. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And later on that day, of course, uh, running into Vince and Vince came over and gave me a big hug and said, echoed pretty much as he says, are you, are you going to be okay? I said, yeah, I'm here with everybody. I I guess I'm going to be as okay as I'm going to be. He says, he said, you need anything. You need time off. You let me know, you know, and under the problem though, afterwards was I started to have this guilty conscience because I was, thinking about how fortunate I was in this circumstance and then mm-hmm. started feeling guilty because there's a family that lost a son, a, a brother, a husband, a father, you know what I mean? And I'm thinking how lucky I am to not be another part of this situation. And, and again, now I've got those guilt feelings and that was hard to deal with for a long, long time.
0: Yeah. It was that, I remember watching that show in, in Ireland live over here and It was surreal, like, and I was still fairly young at the time, so I was trying to grasp, like, is this what it seems like? Because I was only, I would have only been 11 at the time.
1: Wow. And, uh,
0: yeah, it was just, it was definitely the saddest night in my memory of watching wrestling, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it was was a a tragic night that unfortunately will forever be etched here, you know? Yeah. Were you surprised that
0: the show went on that night?
1: Uh see that I don't see I didn't know what to make of it because you know mm. it, you know it
0: happened so fast like
1: you know, uh, again, I I wasn't there for the rest of the show because they took me to get checked out at the hospital as well because I was shaken up pretty good. Uh and they just wanted to make sure everything was cool because at the time I didn't realize it, you know, what I felt brushed. They just wanted to make sure everything was all right and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and then I found out that the show continued. And of course, you know, on one side you're saying, how can they continue the show? That's crazy. Uh, you know, and then people keep talking about, well, the show must go on. I don't, I don't know what to make of it because something like this, there's no precedence. How do you prepare for something like this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't expect something like this to happen. Yeah. Um, was it in hindsight, I could say it was, it was the wrong decision, but at the same time,
0: I don't, I, don't I, don't I don't think know. I don't think anyone would have complained or given out if the show was pulled that night. You know,
1: I, I, I don't think so either. I don't think so. Uh, given the circumstances, obviously, I don't think anybody would have complained.
0: Yeah. Right. We'll try bring up the tone again, Jimmy. OK. okay. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Pewter, that in that, oh. incident that happened. Yeah. I'm sure you're sick of talking about this. Well, here we go. <laughs> Now I, I had Doug, as I was saying to you earlier, Doug Basham on the on the podcast last night. He was talking about the segment that he done in Tough Enough, if you remember, with the flags, where the talent uh, had to yeah. run and get the flags, and, the, and oh. Doug and Danny had to keep them away from the flags. Oh, well.
1: I kind of half remember. See, I've taken a lot of ref bumps over the years, so some stuff oh. is yeah. still a little foggy. But I remember that that day with Daniel Pewter very well because what they did was all during the day they had these guys doing these crazy you know uh for lack of better words stunts like wind sprints and running back and forth and eating plates of pasta and doing all this stuff (laughs) trying to blow these guys up and then the final segment was to take place in the ring this was all taped earlier in the day of course then the final segment was to take place in the ring on smackdown where they would do what they call burpees or squat thrusts Mm -hmm. until one guy was left standing so you know guys would get eliminated guys get eliminated um and I want to say Dan Rodemeyer was declared the winner of that. If that was it. so, what you got for winning was you, as as someone who's completely blown up from doing this all day, you got to wrestle in an amateur wrestling match, Kurt Angle, an Olympic gold medalist. Now, to be fair, Kurt was not 100% because he was suffering from neck issues and stuff like that. Yeah. But he, he tied up Daniel. Uh, anyways, it, it was no contest. So we thought that was it. And that was supposed to be the end of the segment, but Kurt walked over to look at the rest of the guys on the floor and said, Okay, do any of you guys want to be next? And Daniel Pewter put his hand up. And I looked at Charles and he looked at me and we were like, Oh boy, what do we do here? Then I looked at Al Snow and I looked at Al and Al went, And I went, I, you know, what are you going to do? You're on television now. He's doing, he's going to, Kurt's going to do what Kurt's going to do. So they get into it and they start wrestling around and they, Back up into a corner, and I'm not an MMA expert by any means, but mm-hmm. uh, I recognized the key locker, the Kimura that they that Daniel had Kurt in, and I just sit, looked at my I just thought to myself, this is not good, yeah, uh, especially for someone who's ha- experiencing issues with his neck and blah blah blah, and stuff like that. and I'm going, oh my goodness. So, the only the biggest thought that comes to my mind because I'm looking, I'm kind of peeking at Al, and Al's got that look on his face like, oh, this is not good. You know, and I'm looking at Charles and we're both thinking, "Mm." so my big thought was, how do we get out of this? How do we stop this? And by chance, you know, they fell to the canvas and Kurt fell on top. And I don't know what made me think of this. I just dove down and counted three. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't care what I'm counting three regardless. Yeah. Which you saw after two, Daniel kind of rolled the show. I didn't care. I'm counting three because this has to end. Cause he wasn't letting go and Kurt would rather lose his arm than tapped it to Daniel pewter. You know what I mean? Cause that's, yeah. that's how he's bred. And I, you know, so I counted three, rang the bell. Um, you know, they stood up, Kurt cut a bit of a promo on him, and, and Daniel was, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He says, now get the hell out of my ring. And, oh uh, man, that was scary. But this, uh, the fun part was when I got to the back, I'm walking through gorilla and Gerald Briscoe was there. It was Manny gorilla. Because he was the one who was telling me in my earpiece, "Jimmy, what are they doing?" And I'm like, (laughs) "I don't know." know. This is he's kind of going into business for himself, anyway. But as I walked through Gorilla, he was quiet. But as I was walking by, I looked at him. He looked at me and gave me the quiet thumbs up. Then I ran into Fit Finley in the back, and Fit looked at me. He says, "Did they tell you to count?" I said, "No, I just did it. It wasn't like it wasn't like I was thinking to myself when I get the chance I'm going to count. They just fell, and I just." Did it. He says, Well, good on you. So whew,
0: scary interesting moment. Yeah. In two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. You you might remember this. I know you've taken a lot of fun. <laughs> in two thousand and five, WWE came over to Dublin and done an outdoor show in the RDS. Do you remember that oh, show?
1: Oh there was, was it a thousand people
0: there. And yeah. Steve Austin was there.
1: Yeah. Was I was just
0: on ahead. Did we, did we do two nights there? No, it was just one yeah. night outdoors. Okay, I'm trying to remember, but I'm trying like uh, they in the lead up to it in the April, there was an April WrestleMania revenge tour. So after Mania, mm-hmm. they came to Dublin and they had an angle where JBL busted up uh John Cena, I think it was with a chair or something like that, and he played okay. he and whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then GM Teddy Long came out and announced this was like it was almost like a Friday night Smackdown. He came out and announced that mm-hmm. we're going to need to sort this uh, with a special guest referee in Ireland, Stone Cold right. Steve Austin, June the 18th, 2005. And I always goodness. wondered, like, what was why did that show happen outside in Ireland and not be televised? Uh, uh, like, I don't recent.
1: know. I guess, I guess, I don't know because uh, the. Outside of North America, the UK has been kind of like the go-to place for WWE. Obviously, they're worldwide. We've been across the world, Australia, South Africa. You know what I mean? Like pretty much mm-hmm. across Europe. But outside of North America, it, it almost feels like the UK is is a priority. So I think they wanted to give them something, something special. Yeah. And uh, having Stone Cold Steve Austin as a special referee, that's special.
0: Yeah, it was JBL, JBL versus Angle versus Cena with uh, Steve Austin special guest referee. I, 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 I'm, sh-
1: I'm sure there were a few stunners thrown on that one. If oh, I there was stunners
0: and beers one. everywhere. Yeah, like, at the end of the night, I actually met you that day ringside. I got a picture, which I I have it. I couldn't find oh. it earlier. I have it. Somewhere. <laughs> oh, so cool. I, I, was, I was fortunate enough to get a front row ticket for that one, and okay. I just said, "Hey, Jimmy, can I get a picture?" You were like, "Yeah, cool. Yeah, no sure problem." Well.
1: Awesome. At least I wasn't. At least I was nice to you. I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I, always, I always found it would engage in with the staff at those kind of live events mm-hmm. that everyone was cool from ring announcers to referees. You know. Yeah. The talent Even, had to be a bit more careful. Yeah. Even
1: Tony Chimmel was nice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: My old writing partner. We we traveled everywhere together. So he just knew that I had to be the guy driving. That's all. Bad, driver, I'm a bad yeah. uh, No, I'm a bad passenger. I, just, I don't okay. like to sit there, especially if it's a l- lengthy drive of two hours or more. I <clears throat> And also, the one driving was in control of the radio, so we had, you
0: know... That's the rule. We had, we had dibs on the music. <laughs> okay. What music would you play on the road?
1: Everything. I See, I wish more people were like this today mm-hmm. um, when it comes to their wrestling and what they enjoy. Because I like, contrary to popular opinion, I'm not just a WWE guy. I like all wrestling out there. I watch it all, and I... There's stuff I like from each company and there's stuff that I critique from each company and I wish would be better, but I want all companies to flourish and do well because that's good for the business overall. And it's good for a lot of my friends who work at all these different companies, but getting back to the music, I listen to everything, man. I, I, it, it, I wasn't big on punk, but you know, like I loved R and B, uh, R and B soul, um, classic rock, very like, uh, there's a station now, uh, on I hate to to plug on, on on satellite radio called Yacht Rock Radio.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I listen to that stuff constantly. It's it's weird because, like I said before, uh, you know, after too many bumps I don't remember a whole lot. But when all these songs come up from the '70s, I remember the words to every song of the, uh, that's on the radio. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I like pretty much anything. You know, I even listen to like Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. It's uh, yeah.
0: What do you think of Fuzzy?
1: I like them. You know, it's, 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 it's cool. It's infectious. You know what I mean? And, and, and and it's working right now because you, you hear, you see when Chris comes out on AEW and that song comes and his, and his entrance music comes out, everybody's singing along.
0: So it works. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It works. Just quick one on AEW. Do you think AEW would be as big as it is now without Chris Jericho?
1: That's hard to say. I know Chris Jericho really helped put them on the map. That is for sure. Because when it comes to, he was their first world champion, AEW champion. And I think that was a great choice because Chris is, Chris is very smart, not only for himself, but he's also smart at helping get others established and over. He knows the value of that. So having him as their first champion, I think was a big, huge step forward and got people interested. He was a big enough name to get people to tune in and say, hey, Chris Jericho's here. Let me tune in and see what this product's all about.
0: Yeah. Plus, if if this Daniel Bryan and CM Punk rumors are true, that could really take them to the next level.
1: Yeah, it could. It definitely could elevate them. I, it's See, it's but it's also that six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yes, it's great to bring these talents in. Huge names, huge stars, great talents. But at the same time, you've got home lack of a better term, homegrown talents in AEW that might be getting overshadowed mm-hmm. by by these uh, signings coming in, which is it's a good problem to have because you're going to get the interest, but it, it's all in what you do forward with the, the guys that are going to be your long-term goal and your long-term future because they have some great young talent there that, that that could keep this company afloat for a long time.
0: Yeah got a fun question for you now, Jimmy. Um, if you were stranded on a desert island and you needed to pick three wrestlers to survive on, who would they be?
1: Three wrestlers if I was stranded on a desert island? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Uh, Haku, because if there were any uh, wild animals around, he would be the first guy I would hide behind. Uh, yeah. Probably the toughest. You know, Steve Austin used to say he was the toughest SOB. Uh, my vote goes to King Tonga. Aka Haku, so he would be on that list. Um, wow. Uh, I wouldn't want Big Show there because he'd eat everything. Uh, Mark Henry maybe because Mark Henry, the World's Strongest Man, if we needed to to move some rocks and trees and stuff like that, he'd be the guy you'd want there too. He'd uh, come man. in handy. Yeah, and wow, who would be number three?
0: Most people at this point will pick a female.
1: I know yeah. I get that, but at the same time, yeah. Well, if I were maybe because she's got a cookbook out and she's a friend, and uh, maybe Renee Young, Renee Paquette, yeah, because she, she can choice. cook. So, so, we have someone to feed us, is lo- provided we could bring her food. So, there you go. You've yeah. got Mark Henry, uh, getting us the firewood, you've got Haku, you know, uh, providing our sustenance, <laughs> and, and Renee could cook the meals. There you go.
0: Yeah, sorted. We could survive. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your, your book, The, the mm-hmm. Tree Count. Yeah. what 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 is the – what's in the book? Is it kind it's of a biography?
1: It, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a story of my career in the ring and what happened after I left WWE for, to a certain extent. Um, it's not a an expose and a tell-all. It's just a bunch of yeah. me and my journey through this business that I loved, that I enjoyed and am still passionate about – and for the most part, it was just me telling my story without an agenda. It, yeah. there's, no, there's no motive behind it other than, hey, maybe I could sell a few books and tell the story from a guy who has, doesn't have an ax to grind. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 yes, there were times when this industry, it's not all biscuits and gravy, as they say. But at the same time, it, it's not work if you truly love what you're doing. And I truly love what I did, so I didn't view it as work. And 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 I just wanted to tell that story. And who knows? Maybe the uh, that book has been out for a while now. So maybe maybe there's more stories to tell. Maybe there's another a volume two in the works. You never know. Yeah. I don't want to give
0: anything away, but you never know. You never know. Yeah. Never say never. Never say never. Exactly. How do you fill out your days these days, Jimmy? Do you want to tell people what you do and where to catch you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we used to do a show up here in Canada called Aftermath, which was. Uh, um, uh, it's on hiatus now. We don't know if it's coming back, so hopefully it does. But in the meantime, I do my – I have other little side projects. Uh, one of them that I'm going to do the cheap plug for here – oh, let me put it where, where yep. it belongs – is my daily ref and rants, which I go on my social media, and it's a one-minute video. Um, whatever is whatever strikes my fancy as something as a critique, and it's not meant to, to throw people under the bus or bury – certain individuals or certain storylines or, or whatever, it's meant as a critique. It's meant to, like I said, I want the industry as a whole to be better. And this, and I just comment on what I find that could be improved on. Let's put it that way. So I put it out there on my Twitter, on my Instagram, on my Facebook. And, and that takes up a lot of time and also cooking. I love cooking right now. So every once in a while, you'll see on my social media, a little thing I call, like to call ref the chef. (laughs) <laughs> where I'll just post some pictures. Uh, my wife will take pictures of me preparing a meal and, uh, you know, I'll throw them out there and um, not not to not to be the Barry Horowitz pat myself on the back, guy, but I'm starting to get pretty good at it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Jimmy, it was an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today, man. I know we've been trying to work this out for a long yeah. time, but I really yeah. appreciate it, man.
1: No, I appreciate it too, and I appreciate your patience because, you know, like I said, sometimes uh, I, sometimes I'll have these stretches where Hey man, I got nothing, nothing lined up. And then all of a sudden it's like, I, Oh, I can't get this in now. And you know, but I appreciate your patience. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you having me on. It it, it was very, it was a lot of fun, man.
0: It was. Yeah. Cheers, Jimmy. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Take care my friend.